You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. I joined the worship team at the beginning of the year, and some of you may remember me as the Leviticus lady. And then Brittany decided to give me 1 Samuel with a focus on David, um, which Imani said, well, you can't mess up David. So thank you for that, Imani. (laughs) Careful what you say to me. It might end up in a message. Okay, so before we dive deeper into 1 Samuel, I wanted to frame the entire message in terms of the theme of what we're doing in our series of reading the Bible. So what we're doing is we're going through the whole Bible, looking at, it, looking at it as one big story, and we're asking the question, how is God pursuing a family? Okay. So in Samuel, Israel follows the same old pattern of substituting God and then self-destructing. But God stays attached to them. Okay. In Samuel, God gives Israel a choice, and then he allows them to experience the outcome of that choice. This is King Saul. And the resulting chaos actually enables them to experience their own sin and their own weakness and to see God's faithfulness and goodness. God is ready and waiting for them whenever they turn around. See how God is pursuing a family. And lastly, in Samuel, as Saul is spiraling, which is what uh, Jim, not Tim, Jim talked about two weeks ago, as Saul is spiraling out of control, God is actually preparing someone that he chose himself And it's an undeserved upgrade. They didn't deserve a second chance, but God is actually preparing someone even better than Saul, and he's the best king they're ever going to have. So we can see how God is pursuing a family all through Samuel. And if you're looking, you can see God's love through that entire book, if you're looking. So let's pray, and then we'll dive a little bit deeper into the actual text. I'll pray from a psalm in honor of David. Let the words of our mouths, Lord, and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Okay, so we want to do three things this morning. We're going to look at the context of the book. Then we're going to look at some events in David's life. And then we're going to zoom in on one truth I really think God has for us today. So here's the context. The 12 books between Joshua and Esther are known as the history books. And it's really helpful for us to understand the Hebrew mindset regarding history, the people who wrote this book. Now, in general, there seems to be a few different ways you can approach history. So we know many ancient cultures embellished their histories. They created myths and they gave face and form to forces beyond their control. This was to entertain and to enhance and to explain their histories. Our modern, Western cult- our modern Western culture gets history from experts and academics. We are trained to study it through a secular lens of human interest in theory, politics, economics, environment. And history revolves around the operations of people, right? God as a person, I think we would all agree, is not really in the picture, or at best, he's peripheral. And as, God people, as God's peoples in today's context, how do we tend to handle history? Well, I think sometimes we might feel we could get closer to God by dissociating from history, the mess of history. Sometimes I think we might be tempted to position God in the narrative based on personal feelings, based on popular opinion. 
And for many of us, I think we might assume that God works with a select group of people on his special VIP Christian history that is occurring on the sidelines of the real world headlines. And so what we do is we reduce God, his role in history, and we reduce our role in history. And in contrast, the ancient Hebrews, really, they believed that God was personally alive and active on earth. They accepted that he wanted humans in his continuous company, in his continuous activity, and he dignified them with a place in the world, in his world, in his story. He took them seriously just as they were, and he used them. In his introduction to Samuel, Eugene Peterson, who's the author of the Message Bible, he describes how the book pulls us into a way of reading history that is attentive to the conditions in which men, women, teenagers, nobody looked up, and children are experiencing and encountering God. That was history. Wherever and whenever people had experienced and encountered God, and it could happen to anyone. While Samuel is going to provide us a plenty of information, we don't get a lot of explicit God talk or commentary. It's just natural for God to meet history in the everyday, extraordinary, and ordinary occurrences of their lives. That's history. So we're going to pause here for a minute, and using this question, or using this Eugene Peterson quote on, on the screen as a stimulus for some reflection, I want you to share with your partner what your answer is to the question on the next slide. So the quote is, if you go back, the quote is another Eugene, Eugene Peterson quote. So he says, as far as these writers, this is the writers of the history books in the Old Testament, as far as these writers were concerned, the only reason for paying attention to people and events was to stay alert to God. So the question for you and your partner is, if you could work together, you have a minute to share. The question is, to what extent is this your approach to what goes on around you and in the world? All right, go ahead. You have one minute. Talk to each other, swap halfway, and then we'll move on. don't have a partner, you could find someone and sit with them. Don't be shy. Okay, we have about 10 more seconds. <clears throat> okay. All right, I'm going to pull you back into focus up here. Um, we don't have time to hear from everybody, but I wanted to share. I know when I reflected on this, um, I realized that I don't always view history as humanity dealing or not dealing with God, with him being the central and sovereign figure in time and place. And certainly in my own history, I tend to see myself as the leading character. And I will fit God into my story 
and not my story into God's. Um, there is one time in my life, though, I've never been able to do that. Many of you know this, but uh, the reason Dan and I met uh, was because while he was still living in England back in 2008, he asked uh, God for direction, and God responded to him and said, go to Nineveh. I mean, Philadelphia. Sorry. <laughs> God said, go to Philadelphia, and Dan did. And that's how we met, because when he arrived, I was on a college campus in Philadelphia, a couple blocks from where he ended up housing. And looking back, we see that as God really orchestrating us to meet so we could fall in love, get married, and do the things that he wanted for us to do together. But the point is, Dan and I can never tell people how we met without God being the protagonist of that story. And that leads us to David. Because there's a reason there are more pages in the Bible dedicated to David than to anyone else in the Bible, except for Jesus, right? Four Gospels, you can't beat that. And here's why. In David's life and in David's story, God was the commanding presence. God was the larger context. God was the plot. David stayed alert to God, like that quote is saying, and his ability to do that literally shaped human history, and it echoed into eternity. His life is a sort of template for Jesus's. And those two, David and Jesus, had a special kinship that even Jesus acknowledged. Okay, we're going to move into the second part where we look at this life, as recorded in Samuel. And these stories take place roughly halfway between the call of Abraham, which we've covered already, and the birth of Jesus, so about 1000 BC. Um, so to save on time, I asked Killian to do some of the biographical research for me. So I asked him to give us some information on David, just so we know who we're working with. So according to my three-year-old, David's dad was Saul. Okay, he got that one wrong. It's not Star Wars, where your dad is the bad guy. <laughs> um, David's dad was Jesse. He was from Bethlehem in the tribe of Judah, and he was actually the great-great-grandson of Ruth and Boaz. You know that? David's job, according to Killian, was a shepherd. He was good at fighting lions and protecting his sheep from foxes. Okay, so, so far, so good. His favorite weapons were a sword and a sling, and he was enemies with Saul and Goliath. His best friend was Jacob. I mean Jonathan. He corrected that. His best friend was Jonathan, and he was famous, Killian said, because he loved God. Not because of Goliath, because he loved God. What did he look like? Stop with these questions. <laughs> That's as far as I got. Okay, now I had Killian do some of my work, and now you're going to do some of my work for me too. So in pairs, I want you to put these eight events in order. They're scrambled right now, and you can work together, but you are not allowed to use your Bible. That would be too easy. And you have two minutes to try to put A through G in the order in which they occurred in the Bible. Please write it down as you do so, because we're going to refer to what you wrote down later. All right? Any questions on that? You're scrambling these events, try to put them in the right order. What happened first? What happened last? What happened in between? You have two minutes. Write them down as you do so, because I want you to look back at them later. On your mark, get set, go. Was there a prize? Just knowing that you did well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 
you're online, you can do this as well. Do not use the internet, people online. Okay, another minute. Brittany should obviously get them all right, right? You have to come to summer summer school, summer Sunday school. Just do your best. Okay, about ten seconds. Got some answers down. Have written down the events. Are you ready for the big reveal? Could you put the slide on with the answers? Mm -hmm. Okay, F-G-B-E-A-C-D-H. Okay, let's see how we did. So the correct order, David anointed king. David plays the harp. David kills Goliath. David is friends with Jonathan. Saul becomes jealous. Saul pursues David. David spares Saul's life the first time, and there's one more. He spares his life a second time. Anybody get them all right? Whoa, Casey and Dan. Way, okay. Right, so really Nikolai won. Okay. Okay, look at this list, though, and this happened all before the age of 30. <clears throat> so... You could preach three sermons on any of these events, probably more, and you've probably heard your share of sermons on David's life. And to be honest, while I was preparing, I felt overwhelmed. And so what I did was I said, Lord, what is the one thing from David's life that you have for us today? What's on your heart? And I think that he drew me to a verse. Um, and it's actually a verse much earlier in the book. It's in chapter 2. And this is before David is even on the scene. Um, and it's a heavy scene. The little boy, Samuel, has been moved to live with Eli and be raised in the tabernacle. And what happens is um, Samuel is contrasted with Eli's two biological sons who are grown up. They are defaming their role as priests in every possible way. It's, it's really bad. And... Whereas Samuel is growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, the Bible says um, the report spreading among the Lord's people about Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons, is not good. So we have these two lives contrasted. So a man of God is sent to Eli, and he tells Eli his family has lost their priestly privileges, and God is going to replace them with another more faithful family. And here's part of what he prophesies. So this is the man of God speaking to Eli. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever, but now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. We're moving into the last part of those three parts. And I encourage you to have 1 Samuel open in front of you. It can be on your phone or in the book. And we're going to pause here for another question Focusing on this verse. This is what we're zooming in on. I want you to go back to the events that you wrote down from David's life. 
and I want you with your partner to visit one of them and then answer a question about it. So go to one of those events from David's life and I want you to ask this question. Where do you see the outworking of this promise, those who honor me I will honor, in the events of David's life? What does honoring God and being honored by God look like? So we're using this verse from second chapter of Samuel as a frame to now evaluate David's life. And we're focusing on the promise of, if you honor me, I will honor you. And what does that actually really look like? And I want you to pick one thing to visit with your partner and talk about what you're seeing. And before you do that, I'm actually going to pray, because I think there's probably particular events for particular people this morning to look at. So Holy Spirit, would you guide our friends to the right chapter or to the right event um, and just speak to them through it? Amen. So that's your job. Go to one of the events and answer those questions. You have another couple of minutes. You could put the events back on, yeah. So where do you see those who honor me, I will honor in action? What happened? Johanna, can you put the slide back? Because it has the chapter numbers next to it as well. Those are the chapter numbers in parentheses if you need that reference. Okay, a little bit longer, a little bit longer. Okay. I think I'm going to pull us back in at this point. And could we have two or three people? Would you be willing to share back something that struck you or a way of David honoring and God honoring him in return? Anybody want to share? Matt? Um, we picked the bottom one, mm-hmm. uh, Saul's wife. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you're online, uh, 
Jen asked Matt to share, so Matt shared that uh, they looked at that last story about Saul's life being spared by David and how David demonstrated extreme trust in the Lord's plan because at that point he could have taken Saul out and become king, and that was a long time coming already, but he didn't. And I'm going to come back to that too. Anybody else? Kat. And? Right. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, if you were online, Kat was sharing that she looked at Saul playing the harp for David and how the Holy Spirit used David to bring healing and respite to Saul when the evil spirit was tormenting him. And I think he was honoring God by give, using his gift to bless someone, right? And someone who was difficult and, <laughs> and dangerous at that point, but he was willing to go there and do that for Saul. Um, okay, last one. Yeah. What's her name? Oh, that's Amani, remember. <laughs> What's her name? We're afraid that uh, the, the highest honor that guy can pay you is to use you mm. for, the, for, for his glory. Yes. Yes. I, 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 it blows me away when God uses me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you remind me of your name? Pardon? What's your name? Brian. Brian, oh yes, Brian, Brian. So folks online, Brian was sharing that, uh, I think you were probably looking through all of the events, and that the highest honor that God can pay you is to use you for his glory. And so we see that through the entire list of events too. Anointed, using him all the way through. Mm -hmm. And and when he anointed David, you know, normally when they they anoint you, they, you know, like if Brittany were to anoint me with oil, you know, like, they poured oil. I mean, he was so... He was oily. He was a ball of grease, yeah. Oil just pouring down off of their beard. Yeah, yeah, symbolic. Yeah. Symbolic, yes. Well, thank you for sharing, everyone. Um, I think what struck me uh, in looking at that list was that honoring and being honored by God doesn't guarantee you a easy life or trouble-free life, nor is it a fast track to power. Um, I mean, this is just a series of difficulties that David had to respond to. He was following the route God mapped out for him, and it was full of setback after setback by somebody God had allowed in authority. And there's something I think, Matt, I'm on the same page with you and Jen, for us today in 2022, about those last two stories. Being a man after God's own heart in a world full of wolves uh, meant not using the same coping mechanisms that Saul did. For Saul, certainly for the Philistines, and even for David's men at times, if you read, it was kill or be killed, take or it'll be taken from you, control or be controlled. And this is the situation that we're all born into, sadly. And, it's at, and at the root of it is the lie that the enemy has been whispering in our ears since the beginning of time, which is, you've got to save yourself. But David doesn't do it. 
he won't do it. In that first of the two stories where he spares Saul's life, Saul's com- Saul comes into the cave where David's actually hiding to relieve himself. And David manages to sneak up behind him. I remember thinking as a kid, uh, Saul must have been reading a magazine or something. <laughs> it would have been the easiest thing to stab him in the back. And the temptation would have been to seize it as a God-given opportunity to fill in the blank, take back the country, reclaim what's mine, stop the... I won't go there, but... Um, that was a temptation. I've got to seize this opportunity for power. I'm a, you know, I'm a follower of God. He's not. It's my turn. But he just cuts off a piece of his cloak and he backs away into the shadows. Listen to what David says to Saul when they meet in person later. And Saul has realized what could have happened. David says, may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. And this is what I feel God has for us today. That is what honoring and being honored by God really looks like. You let him judge. You let him decide. You let him consider your cause and you let him uphold it. And it's enough that God vindicates you and values you. And your job is to value the life of others. Yes, even people who are out to get you. And to surrender your story to his story and to be dependent on God for salvation. And God honors you with his presence. And he honors you by delivering you in his own way and in his own time from all trouble. And it could be in life. It could be in life. And if not, it will be in eternity. And check out this honor for David. He gets a permanent and direct connection physically through his lineage and figuratively through language. He gets that direct and permanent connection to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus, son of David, they called him. You live like this, you get to be in the company of Jesus. He lived this way. Actually, it was Mary that was descended of David, correct? True. So he, I guess he got it through his mom. Right. Yes. His dad was <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> everybody's dad. Right. The Bible Project describes how later, when the Jewish people look for the future fulfillment of God's promise, it's not another Saul. It's not even a new Samuel, a Sol- Solomon. It's a David they hope for, for another humble king who would submit to God's will, allow his father to exalt him in the proper time, and who would refuse to shove his way into power. A king who came from Bethlehem, had no outward features to mark him out as God's anointed one and would be persecuted by his fellow Israelites. The stories about David epitomize the upside-down value system of God's kingdom that Jesus was always talking about. And in fact, if you zoom forward, there's a lot of things that Jesus says that reminds us of what David said, but there's one verse in John, John 12, chapter 12, verse 26. Jesus says, Whoever serves me must follow me, And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. And so you have that message again. And here's that message today. Those who honor me, I will honor. Before we move into ministry time, um, just take some time in your seat to consider that verse. It might be that you're considering it for the first time. 
It might be that you're reconsidering it. Um, and if you want to be practical, you could write down as a way to re respond and apply. You could write down an I will statement. I will honor God by this, or I will look for God to honor me like this. Because I think, if you're anything like me, that gets twisted up quite a lot, what honoring God actually looks like and what being honored by God actually looks like. Because it actually involves a lot of weakness and dependence and mercy and releasing of control and power. And that's upside down for us, certainly upside down for our world. So I'd like you to just sit quietly for a minute and just ask the Lord, where are you inviting me to live a life that honors you like David? And where are you inviting me to see you honoring me back? Help me to accept your version of this. Okay. Sitting for a minute, and then I'll ask the teams to come up for ministry time. We're going to move into our ministry time. Um, if you're on the worship team or on the prayer team, could you come up to the front? And if you're just in the, in the audience, just in the family, could you stand up? I think it's good to just stand up in response to the call from David and the call from Jesus this morning. So I invite everyone to stand if you're able. Today is also Pentecost Sunday. I don't know if any of you knew. <laughs> That's the day we remember and celebrate when the Holy Spirit, after Jesus left, came to the disciples and he visited them and he fell on them and he settled and he stayed with them. The same Holy Spirit that we have today. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we're looking at David on Pentecost Sunday because I want to remind you um, in that first event on the list is David getting anointed as king. And I didn't have this up on the slide, but you, you should know and you need to know that after that happened, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came powerfully on David and stayed with him. So all of those things that we just talked about, living like that, being like Jesus in a world full of wolves, is possible because David had the Holy Spirit, Jesus, of course, had the Father and the Spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit today. So if, if you're feeling a little bit of resistance, or if you're intimidated by David's story, or you're feeling, that story is larger than life, that can't be me, 
or anything is coming up, I just want to remind you and encourage you that God is kind enough and God is loving enough to not call us into this lifestyle without the help of His Spirit, and He's given us His Spirit, and His Spirit is here this morning, and it's Pentecost Sunday, and we're supposed to remember and recognize and take notice and pay attention to the Holy Spirit, because it's not possible to be like this without Him. And so, <laughs> isn't that encouraging? <laughs> so, God, I want to thank you for everyone here this morning, and I want to thank you for David. Thank you that he was living like you in 1000 BC, and then you lived like you did in 0 BC, and now we're trying to live like you in 2022. And that whole time, the Holy Spirit was there. He was present, and he was enabling people to work against the spirits of the day and the temptations of the day and the lie from the beginning of time that we, it's eat or be eaten, kill or be killed, take or have it taken, control or be controlled Lord that's not true it's not up to us to save ourselves you are the one who saves us Lord salvation belongs to you and thank you that David understood that and he was honored for that and Jesus you understood that and you are honored for that and now you want to honor us and invite us into honoring you today and so come powerfully on us this morning, Holy Spirit. Help us understand and live out what it really means to honor you, be honored by you, and to be a part of your upside-down kingdom where our weakness is strength and where your story is our story and where we submit to what you want to do. And that is where the glory is and the goodness is and the fruit that lasts. So, Lord, come this morning. We receive you. We ask for you. We need you.